What's up, my brothers and sisters? Welcome to the Fireground Fitness Podcast, where we talk about all things pertaining to life on and off the fire ground. The views and the opinions expressed are those of your host and that of our guest. Today, I'm sitting down again with Chris Stewart. We are diving into the strategic decision-making model. This is part three of our little mini-series, and today we are specifically going to be talking about risk management and strategy. So, Grab yourself a glass of water, grab yourself a cookie, some warm milk, whatever. Tune in and enjoy. Last time we met, we talked about the size up process and uh, we're diving back in. I got my guest, uh, Big Shoe Stu, with me here today and uh, we're going to talk about risk management and um, I'm going to lump strategy and I think we can cover both of those two pretty nicely. So um, when we talk about risk management in the, uh, in our, this, in our, uh, strategic decision making. This is a part where we kind of make a go, no go decision, and um, it's based on our size up. And, and the one of the last comments you made to me, I, I don't know if I recorded this. I think I might have turned it off, but I'll. I think it bears repeating. You said everything we do after initial size up is based on our size up. So when we go into risk management, it's driven by uh, the quality of our size up. Can you say more about that? Yeah. So. So it's a process, right? And it has to be done in order. Strategic decision-making or, or any real problem-solving process has to be done in order. So if we mismeasure or we don't understand the problem, uh, in, and in this system, the next part is risk management, and, and where are we in our risk management process? If we mismeasure the problem, we have a significant potential and likelihood to miss understand the risk and 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 whatever mitigation we're using to manage the risk have it be completely and totally ineffective so um so it's important that so whether we're talking about risk strategy actions re- revision or re- uh, uh, revising and reevaluation of what's going on all of those are contingent on our size up right and because we're going to and we're going to loop back up to size up so um so for risk management sp- specifically it's risk management based on the size up and based on what the problems are and what's going on on the fire ground. And, and really for us, the risk management plan, we have three positions in our risk management plan. You know what? We're willing to risk a lot in a calculated manner to save savable lives. And the key part of that is savable lives. We're willing to risk a little in a calculated manner to save savable property, key part of that one. And then we're not willing to risk anything at all for what is already lost, right? So in those first two, um, those are really the two things we'll take risk for is savable lives and savable property. And it's very much on a sliding scale as to how much risk we'll tolerate, uh, depending on what those are. And it's obvious we'll take, I hope it's obvious that we'll take way more risk for savable lives than we should for savable property. Um, that's just, I, I think that's, I think that's smart, a smart process or part of the process, right? Um, so, but when you look at that, uh, and you look at the what we'll take risk for, and then and then uh, identifying you know if it's lost, I can't do anything about it. I am not going to engage in risky actions for things that have already that have already perished, right? Um, um, so in looking to that, if we really want to kind of measure what risk management is doing for us, it is why are we doing what we're doing? So if we are engaging in an interior firefight um, because we believe. Or we know we have a fire inside the structure. We know that it's 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 growing. 
It's impacting the rest of the structure with heat and smoke. And there's likely victims in there. Well, we're going in there because of those victims or the potential victims. And we are going in there to either remove them or remove the fire, hopefully both, and uh, in the most effective order and process that leaves us as intact as possible afterwards. And so that why is, why are we in there? We're in there because we're savable lives. If I am uh, uh, pushing down a hallway and I'm flowing and moving uh, to get to the bedroom fire, to knock the bedroom fire out, so why am I doing that? I'm doing that because I need to put that fire out and I need to get it all clear. And I need to, I need to search those surrounding rooms. I believe I have a, a, a savable life issue or problem here. So that's why. That's why I'm doing that. So anytime, whether it's a firefighter or an officer is engaged in action on the fire ground, offensive, an offensive firefighter, a defensive tire fight, they should have a clear understanding of why I'm doing this. And the why relates directly back to that risk. I'm either doing it because savable lives are savable property. And if I'm doing it because of savable property, but I'm getting my ass kicked and I'm really, really hanging my tail out there, I'm probably misapplying it. And I probably need to scale that back and, Maybe not leave, but do something different. And so um, there's there's a lot to this, but I think it's it can be fairly simple if, if we just put it in that why perspective. So I, I really like that, actually. The, the why piece of this is so important. Understanding uh, you are assuming, right, let's just take this to the individual level. I, as an individual, am taking on a certain amount of risk for my own life and limb by putting myself into a hazardous environment. I'm going into the hazard zone for a specific reason to affect a change on this event to hopefully save lives or to save property or what have you. So that individual weighing, I've heard guys say, you know, you know it's, uh, you know, uh, I'm willing to give my life. And my wife would argue <laughs> that, that um, if you're going to do that, you better be doing it for a really good reason. And you better have calculated and weighed out the uh, scenario that you're putting yourself in because to senselessly run in um, without calculating the variables is just foolish, right? And how are you truly helping improve the situation by becoming um, a martyr to this event, if you will? So I think it's – we we get very cavalier with this, right? Well, there, there could be people in there, so I'm going in. Well, could there be? There could be, but what's the viability? And this goes back to size up, right? Understanding the conditions and the uh, occupancy and all those elements that are affecting what's going on on the fire ground and then making a decision that's driven by those variables. So I'm sitting here trying to think of an example of when a firefighter dying at a fire has ever been a good thing. So if a firefighter dying because they miraculously saved somebody else. So think about this. A firefighter is dying who is protected, who has turnouts, SCBA, you know, all this thermal, the stuff that's supposed to protect us from thermal exposure. They more than likely have water or a hose line with them and, uh, and, and should have the ability or hopefully have the ability to manage the fire, even though I know there's some places and some positions that search without hose lines. I understand that. I think there's a time and a place for it. But I cannot think of 
the time when when a firefighter perished and they they handed the the victim over this precipice and the victim was okay but and was unprotected but the firefighter who was protected and had the knowledge and all this other stuff died that that one doesn't connect with me at all and i and i hey man it may have happened but i i'm not privy to it um and then uh and then every single time something bad happens to on a fire on the fire ground it screws the fire ground up for the victims every single time because we turn our attention to the firefighters every single time we will not let them uh uh we will not let them be lost or stay in the building without us doing something and fire victims building be damned and so i can't come up with a scenario where a firefighter dying has ever been made the fire ground better and i uh so and i do not want this to sound as if i'm not interested in taking risk i i 100% am there is a time and place when we should be risking but it should be it should be with a level of understanding it should be with some knowledge about what's going on on the fire ground and we should be doing anything and everything we can to either hold the problem at bay or fix the problem meaning the fire and while we're trying to deal with this life safety problem and so there is it's it's very it, this is a passionate discussion and uh, people that i actually look up to have different feelings and 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 a lot more emotion tied to this than than i do well it probably doesn't sound like it uh, in this instance but but they you know uh th- that saying out there it's worth the risk yes it is worth the risk it actually always has been um but it has to be worth the risk you have to be thinking about that it's not just katie bar the doors we're going to do anything and everything in here including die because it's worth the risk that's right. not it's uh, i don't i have a hard time with that one. well there's there's a word that we say and you said it earlier which is a calculated risk and that's a really important point because if you are doing effective size up and you are you are you will arrive at a reasonable disposition for what you're going to do right and that is the crux of this is if you understand the conditions you understand what the structure is happening in there um then that, that is how you are managing the risk that's part of that you're working inside the incident command system there's an accountability factor there's elements like that that are helping manage the risk for you that's where the risk management comes in and then the final decision of the go no go is based on all those things that you've already considered and so so if we are thinking through those factors and those elements prior to making a risk decision that we're calculating our risk yeah so think of some of the worst fires you know that that make national headlines and well a great example yesterday was the anniversary and i think it was the 15th year anniversary of the sofa superstore fire in charleston south carolina um really sad fire um really bad outcome nine firefighters perish uh really these this so this will be my these are my words basically burned the fire department to the ground and they started new and 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 actually brought in some really smart people that I've had the pleasure of meeting and 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 they had to rebuild an organization and a culture and 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 everything that it takes to be a good fire fire department and they did right and they are a real they're a real fire department today and not that they weren't a real fire department then but they just did not 
They didn't understand anything outside their boundaries and their reality. Um, but very few people remember there was actually a rescue of a victim at that fire. There's a dude on the phone calling 911. I'm trapped in the back office while everything, while pure Armageddon's going on in front for the Charleston Fire Fire Department. And the neighboring fire department, yeah, they went and actually got the guy. They were like, fine, you guys go do something. They really didn't want him there, so I understand. And said, fine, just go, hey, we've got this report. Can you go figure that out? They go, they get there, they actually get the guy out. So we... we <laughs> We have this horrible incident with these horrible conditions in a in a in, in a crazy situation here, but on the backside there was actually a rescue. And so can you have really bad things happening or really, really bad conditions and make a rescue? Yeah, you actually can. But it was it was a targeted rescue because you had specific information and you were able to act in a very specific way. I would say that that right there is the purest definition of a marginal of marginal conditions, right? And we're going to talk about strategy here next, but that's right in between. Uh, it, that is the definition of marginal conditions is defensive conditions with a known rescue. Well, that's what they had there. And it get, and that window only is, it's, it's a very, very finite window. So the risk management, that was that was the epitome of the green of our risk management. That is, that is on the edge of risk for a, in, in a calculated manner for a savable life. And so there are examples of that, and we should pay attention to that. And there are examples of saves. I think the Firefighter Rescue Survey right now is saying, uh, and I hope I get these numbers right, is buildings or occupancies in which have, uh, I think it was 50% or greater fire involvement. When they find a victim in there, those victims are living a third of the time. Hmm. So the... That's real. That's real outcomes, right? That's real. That's happened. That's we're measuring that. So we've got to take that and go, man, those are serious conditions. We better, we better. I, what, what I want for us is to be really good at managing those decisions or excuse me, those conditions in the most overwhelming way that we can and being able to deal with the rescue as quickly uh, and as simultaneously as possible and as safe and as reasonable for us. So because those victims matter. And and uh, that is worth the risk, if you ask me. That's yeah. what I'm. That's I think it's important. Now we have data that actually helps us with that. No, I love that. One thing I want to touch on um, as we kind of close out the risk management piece is that you know if you make a decision um, to risk a lot to save savable lives, once you have an all clear, you have to recognize that your risk level has shifted. Now you're putting out a fire. You've, you know, you have no victims left. Now it's just a structural involvement. And, um, so you should be reconsidering where you're at in your risk and, and rethinking that and kind of like actively thinking through, okay, what, why am I in here doing what I'm doing at this point? Is it just to, uh, have fun or are we actually saving some savable property at this point? Right. Making yeah. A deliberate decision about if that. Figuratively, we're getting punched in the face to get it all clear. Uh, and once we get that all clear, should we continue to get punched in the face by the fire? No, no, that's not. You only get so many punches to the face, <laughs> right? So we need to we need to to manage how, what we're doing and how we're, you don't have to leave, but do something different. Right. Do it. Do it. Do something smarter. Do something better to 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 finish off the problem. Perfect. So so let's turn our attention to strategy. So when when you think about strategy, um. 
What does that mean to you? So if we, again, if we look at definition and, and definition in this context is for us, when we define strategy, strategy is either working inside the hazard zone or it's working outside the hazard zone. If we're in an offensive strategy, we are working inside the hazard zone. We are inside the collapse zone. We are inside the structure. We are uh, getting up as up close and personal as we can to the fire because we've identified savable lives and or savable property and we're comfortable with the risk that we're taking to do what needs to be done to either put it out or get it all clear, right? And so that, by, by definition, that an offensive strategy is us working inside the hazard zone. A defensive strategy is identifying what's, we're, we're identifying things that are lost, right? And saying, I'm identifying an area that I shouldn't go in because that stuff is lost or it's going to be lost and likely it's going to come down or it's going to, it could, it could come get us. And we're not going to work in that area. I'm not, we're not going to put firefighters. We're not going to put uh, uh, things that are valuable to us inside that hazard zone. So we define a perimeter, if you will. And we're saying, I, we're not going to work inside there because it is too dangerous, because it is too volatile, because, or it's already lost. I can't literally save anything that's in there. So that that is strategy. You're either working in the hazard zone or you're working outside the hazard zone. One of the things I think is really important about the declaration of strategy is that it 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 unites the fire ground and the leader's intent is expressed specifically, right? You kind of give a definition for it. And I think that if I say, hey, I am offensive, that's now you understand my intent for this fire ground. And once my, as I start making assignments beyond that, they should connect with what my strategy is. So I'm not putting you in a defensive position if I'm, if I'm, you know, if I declared an offensive firefight, it would make sense or it doesn't connect with what my intent is. So I think that's a really important part of that is communicating that on the fire ground is so that we are all on the same page. So we're all moving in the same direction, understanding the objective. Yeah, that intent is 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 what's reasonable and what's effective, right? So if I'm assigning people to work inside the hazard zone on an offensive strategy, and at the same time I'm giving assignments to ladder companies to put their aerial devices up in the air and start flowing water inside the building, those don't connect, right? That's one, one is really bad for the other. And so, um, yes, so that intent is, it's about the action, what is effective and what is safe and what is reasonable. So, um, it, 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 it does define that. And then can you, can and when should you change strategy? And can you go from a defensive strategy to an offensive strategy? Can you can you go from an offensive to defensive? The simple answer is yes, right? The most likely uh, uh, transition we see is from offensive to defensive. Um, and because conditions are overwhelming or we got a better look at it or we now know something we didn't and we can, we can easily identify that something is actually lost now and we're not going to be able to do anything about it. So, so we, we, we can safely assume that defensive strategy. Well, well, yeah, we either transition from an offensive to a defensive strategy after we learn that or we start out in a defensive strategy because we can see that picture clearly when we show up. Um, but is there an instance where we go from defensive to offensive? Yes. Um, but it shouldn't be very often, right? It should be, there's a, if, if we're good at and effective at size up in the beginning, we should typically get our initial call right. And, and I feel like we do most of the time. 
And then, uh, and then again, it's either getting better or it's getting worse. If it's getting better, you stay there. If it's getting worse, then you may have to transition. Well, we can either start a defensive strategy or have transition to a defensive strategy. And whatever action you took in that time could have made a significant difference on the fire, on the fire and the fire conditions. And to say, oh, now it's not as actually as bad. I'm not. I'm no longer worried about the structural integrity. I feel comfortable or confident with that. I'm no longer worried about the the complexity in the, of the building and the smoke because I've put the fire out and I've managed the smoke. So, is it safe to be on the inside? Yeah, yeah. Then it. Then there are instances when it is, and so we should be able to say it. But it should be a very calculated process whenever that happens. And again, if we're, I I feel as if we're doing that very that if we're doing that often. We're probably miscalculating the initial size up anyway, right? And yeah. so it it doesn't it doesn't uh, it doesn't bode well for for you know our actions on the front end, right? Yeah, it, it specifically all I was thinking about as you were talking about that is this is completely predicated upon the quality of your size up. If you you know, depending on the, if it's nighttime and, and there's a lot of fire and you misread the conditions, you're like, well, this is defensive, and you get a deck gun going, and all of a sudden you knock down the main body of fire, you're like, oh. Turns out it wasn't as heavy of a fire load as you thought. We need to be offensive, and you transition into an offensive thing, into offensive strategy, and you take handlines interior, finish off the extinguishment or what have you. Like I could see how that would happen, but it really it boils down to you didn't make the best size up in the first place, and so you misdirected your strategy initially. Um, but to your well, point, there was some assumption there, right? Yeah, you assumed something was lost, and then right. upon a secondary evaluation or something you did, you could say. Uh, I think maybe my initial assessment of that isn't quite right. So again, I love that because the idea, the the fact that we can reevaluate and adjust our directions, it's predicated upon making a, a thoughtful consideration for what's taking place on the fire ground. Something I want to point out is that, and this is sort of just the no go. Right? We are never offensive and defensive simultaneously on the fire ground. Um, and I think we, I want to point out the fact that you can have, you can be in a defensive strategy on the fire ground and have units in a forward position fighting fire. And I know that that seems uh, like it doesn't work uh, with a defensive strategy. However, depending on, it's driven by conditions, driven by the structure, et cetera. But can you have someone performing defensive actions or what would appear to be offensive actions from a forward position while you're in a defensive strategy? And the answer is yes. Yeah, again, so if you go to the definition of a defensive strategy, we are going to identify what's lost. We are going to write it off and we're going to protect exposures. That's actually the that's the definition of a defensive incident action plan. And it's hard to separate the strategy and action in that instance. But that's what it is. So uh, so think of a strip mall scenario and you have one unit ser- seriously involved. Um, uh, and in fact, you show up and say, yeah, no, it's it's we have. It's, again, significantly involved. I'm actually going to write that unit off, and I'm really now concentrating on protecting these exposures, immediate exposures. And so is it reasonable? And, and, and you declare a defensive strategy off the front end. That makes sense because I've defined something that's lost and saying I'm not going to go work in there, but I can protect some things uh, from uh, – I can protect exposures, and I may have to do that from an interior position. I'm not inside – the 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 hazard zone that I'm riding off, I'm protecting the exposures from that from an adjacent occupancy. Yeah, right? right. So I may have to do that from an interior position. I might have to do that from the roof. I might have to do that uh, both in in conjunction of one another. 
and, and w- with one another. And so um, it does, if you quantify it and you know and understand the, uh, the, the kind of the definitions of all this, it does make sense. And, and it's difficult when you're new at it. I, I remember sitting in the CTC when Nick, specifically Nick and Terry, started introducing this idea to us as captains. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute. You are, you guys, you guys have finally hit your head too hard. And, um, but in a little, after a little while, an explanation and going through, it's like, okay, all right, I get it. I understand exactly where you're driving to. And it it does make complete sense. It's not just, it's not just a play on words or not just BS. It's, it really does. It does mean something. So, well, I think that. In summary, what I would say is that all of these things go back to size up and being honest and thoughtful about what is happening on the fire ground and making deliberate decisions about where you are going to, where you are willing to assume risk and not, and what, uh, being honest with yourself about that and, uh, you know, strategically where you're going to position yourself matters. Um, are we strategically positioning ourselves in a position where we've written off something defensive? That's great. And if we're offensive, great. Make sure you're doing that for a reason, right? You're defining what that is by virtue of your size up and making good quality decisions. Yeah, I think for for anybody, that honesty part is really important because we can you you always have the ability to to revise and you always have the ability to change. In whatever direction, based on the current information, saying, oh, it's not as bad as I thought, or we were able to do something about it more effectively than I thought we were, or, oh, this is worse than we thought. We need to make a change. And so we have that freedom to make change, and we should be honest about that. And not just because we picked one thing in the beginning, we're going to we're gonna stick Ride it, it into the yeah, earth. Exactly, <laughs> right? No matter how fast we bail water, we're still going to sink. Nah, man get out of a bad plan or get out of a bad strategy. Boom. I love it. All right, folks, that's all we have for today. Thanks for tuning in. Next installment in this series is going to be the big wrap up. We are going to talk about instant action plan and deployment. So in the meantime, go on out there and get some.